Good morning, everybody. Hasn't it been an amazing time? I'm going to be using a whiteboard to draw some pictures. So I want to get it set up where you've got the best view. You might need to, some people might need to move chairs because of these pillars. Where is the best place, Rob? That on this side. I draw my pictures. They'll work, put it onto the screen. So, a few years ago, I was watching Wimbledon tennis, and Novak Djokovic was playing on center court. And in between one of the points, the camera zoomed in on his box in the corner. And the commentator said, There's Novak Djokovic's support team. It had one or two family members, but it had his head coach, it had a nutritionist, physiotherapist, a psychologist, and a few other people, all of their jobs to help the world's number one tennis player become even better. And I thought to myself, if there was anybody in the world who didn't need extra help with tennis, it's Novak Djokovic. I mean, he was the world's number one at that time and had been for a long time. And yet he was paying not just one, but many people to help him become even better. The job, the work that you and I have in leading people, particularly if you're in church-paid ministry, is infinitely more important and eternally more significant than hitting a tennis ball. <clears throat> and yet, very often the last person we think about developing is ourselves as a leader. As a pastor, my attention and my thinking my focus, <coughs> I beg your pardon, is on helping the people in my church to grow. But if I'm not growing and developing, I can't take them where I haven't been. Studies have been done on the stress related to different vocations, jobs in the world. And being a pastor rates as one of the two or three most stressful jobs in the world. It's not necessarily time stress. But I want you to hear that being a pastor is one of the most stressful jobs in the world. And I'm including husbands and wives in that. When guys, when my friends back at home joke with me and say, well, you only work one day a week. And that's just for a couple of hours. I just smile and laugh on the outside, but on the inside, I remind myself that when I'm lying awake at night, unable to sleep because I'm thinking and processing, 
No one would count that as working hours, but it is, it's energy. By the way, I love what I do. One of my greatest challenges, as you'll hear through my story, is death by excitement. I love what I do. I am privileged to have been involved in pastoral ministry for 25 years. Wouldn't change a thing, but I needed to change lots. <clears throat> I was listening to, oh, thanks, Graham. <clears throat> I was listening to Gordon MacDonald speak, a group about this big of pastors, and the entire day, this wise man of 84 years old, his topic was very simply this, being marathonic. Now, that's not an English word. He made it up. But what he was trying to say is that this journey is a marathon, not a sprint. So my question is, how are you and I going to become better and better and more and more healthy and skilled to be marathonic that we're in it for the long haul, not just for the short sprints. Lance was telling me last night, there's a rugby player in his church. There's a young South African rugby player who only recently started playing for the South African national team. A year and a half before his first game for the national team, he got a phone call from South Africa, from the coaches, saying, we are seeing you, you're on our radar we want to help you become better. Every three weeks, we're going to be in contact. He has a training program, etc. By the way, if you were to change one thing in your game, it would make you an even better rugby player. Guess what that one thing was? They had through video analysis seen that whenever he entered a ruck, that's that giant pileup of bodies on a rugby field. As he ran there, before he got there, he paused and took a half step like this. They said, if you were to cut out that half step, you'd become faster and a better rugby player. This is for rugby. They're not even going to play that in heaven. They'll be playing football, we know, but... <laughs> if this is the length that they're going to with a young rugby player, how much more so should we as... Church leaders be looking at every aspect of our world and of our game and saying, I want to become better. As I mentioned, I came onto church staff when I was 18. When I was 19, I started studying my degree in commerce and I started leading our youth in that church. It grew fantastically. I remember one youth camp with just the young people from our church. The campsite could only take 120 children. So we booked it twice. Monday to Wednesday and Wednesday to Friday, we had 250 kids coming along and people were getting saved. And I just, this was awesome. Just love making things happen, changing the world. I married the girl of my dreams, Jackie. We had two beautiful little boys. By the, at the age of 28, just after our, little, our second boy was born, we had a, um, had a major job change 
in my job description on the staff of our church. And soon after that, so all of these things combined, and soon after that, I developed very severe physical illness symptoms. It started off with pain in my wrists, pain in my, all my joints, shoulders, elbows, wrists, particularly my feet. From about five in the evening, I could hardly walk. I'd hobble around, sore. It got worse and worse. One night, after about two or three months, in the middle of the night, I got up to go to the toilet, and as I stood up, there was such pain from this inflammation that I, I just, my eyes started streaming tears from physical pain. I climbed back into bed and was shaking from the amount of pain that I was in. I went to see a doctor soon after that, a specialist, and as I walked through her door, she said, I think you've got, and she named the name of a, it was a long name, I didn't understand it. After 45 minutes, she says, yes, this is your diagnosis. It was an autoimmune disease. I was so grateful that it had a name, and I wasn't just imagining it. I asked her what causes things like this. She said, it's a variety of things, but very often is stress-related. What job do you do? That I'm a pastor. She said, have you had any major changes in your work or any stressful trauma, etc.? And we discussed a few different things, but I thought from that time I could just get medicine and I'd get better. She says, no, this is an incurable disease. You'll have to manage it for the rest of your life. We can give you painkillers, can give you very heavy medication, and I was on a giant fistful of medication every single day. I got worse before I got any better. For the next three months, I was bedridden almost the entire time. It was a terrible, terrible time. Physically, the only Bible verse that I could relate to was the story of Joseph. Because as a young man, I'd had this dream of leading in God's church and charging the mountain. And now I was stuck in a jail cell of my own body. Every morning, waking up, looking at the roof, I was booked off work for a long time. And I would look at the roof with this, I had a pulsating fever 24-7, every single day. I had no energy, chronic fatigue. I couldn't sleep at night, and I couldn't stay awake during the day. And every morning I woke up and I just thought, my family deserve better than this. My wife's got to pick up the whole load, two little kids, I couldn't handle their crying. I was so sick. And I would think, God, maybe it's better off that I'm home with you in a new body. I'm no use to anybody like this. Please heal me or kill me. And he didn't do either. I was just sick and alive. And I started getting better and I got better enough to work for two hours every day. And then this fever would overtake me. I'd be back in bed again. And I went to uh, Grant who led the team and I said, I want to resign. I'm, I'm not, I'm a bad, you're a bad steward of God's money if you pay me a salary because I'm not doing anything. He was very gracious. He, he felt God tell him that I just needed to preach on Sundays as part of my gift being expressed and whatever else I could do, that was fine. 
And I would arrive late for our Sunday services, pulsing with fever, get up, preach my heart out. As I handed the mic back, I would walk out the door, drive home, climb back into bed. Month after month, I slowly got better, and my best I got back to was at about 60% energy of what, I'd, what the old me had had. If I attended a conference like this, once I was better, when you broke for lunch, I'd immediately go back to the hotel room. I'd sleep for two hours, come back again, go straight back after the evening session, climb into bed. That The lines on the road were very narrow in terms of my energy. During that time, after about five or six years, I felt God speak to me and say he's going to move me from that church. He's going to open a new door of leadership, a new opportunity for me. Like Moses, the old me was overconfident and arrogant. The new me didn't want to know anything about that. I knew I was too sick to do anything new. I prayed inside. As I felt God saying that, I prayed and I said, God, if you heal me, I'll go. And I felt God say back straight back to me, that's not faith. You obey me. And I'll take care of your life. I was so sick. I did not tell anybody else about that word from God. The old me would have been the next day looking for the opportunity. I didn't even tell my wife for a few weeks. I thought I'd misheard God. After six months, I went to see Grant and I told him, this is what I feel God telling me. For those who know Grant Crawford, James's brother, he is the most optimistic, enthusiastic Charge the mountain leader on the planet. Anything is a yes now. Let's go. Let's do it. I told him what I felt God said to me. His response to me was, <laughs> He said, well, we both know how sick you've been. If you think, he says, because I know you're quite cautious. If you think this is a word from God, we'll back you. I went home, I was so excited. Like he didn't say no, he didn't tell me I was crazy. My wife wept. She said, he didn't back you. That's not a big yes. That's like him saying no. I said, no, he didn't say no, he just said, if I think so. Over a period of a few months, we by faith started in just chatting to guys on the team and Friends of ours, Peter and Corin, who led an amazing church down the road in, in Durban. I had coffee with Peter one, I think it was a Thursday morning, end of January of 2012. And I told him all the journey I'd been on. And he said to me, Steve, I feel like seven years ago, God told me you guys would come and take over from us leading this church. And I think that word still stands, I want you to come down here. You could have knocked me off that chair with a feather. City Hill Church was the church I'd probably admired the most. Peter had built a 4,000-seater building. It just got amazing things. That started a school. But I was terrified even at the thought because I knew I didn't have capacity to even work a full day. From that meeting... I drove to a lady that does, was trying to help me with my health. A week before I'd been to see her, 
And I'd gone in with all of my medication and a big tin. I put them on the table. She said, what's this? I told her my story. She took a drop of my blood, put it on the screen. And she said to me that when I'd seen her the first time, she said, I can, you, you're a very, very sick person. I'm going to try and help you get a little better. So now I'm going for my follow-up appointment. Driving from my meeting with Peter. Stunned. I sit in the chair and she takes a drop of my blood, puts it back on the screen. She looks at it for a long time. She says, has anything happened in the last week? I'm thinking, well, I can tell you what happened in the last hour. Eventually, she's asking all these questions. I say, what are you seeing? She says, it looks like I've taken blood out of a different body. This is the blood of a healthy person with a little bit of sickness. So, thank you, but the, the story's not quite done yet because <laughs> she then says to me, I think you must come off all your meds. So I said, well, I know she's not a medical doctor. I said, I, I've tried on one of these me medications to reduce it by one quarter, and I've had a massive flare-up. I've tried that three times already. I, I don't think you know how sick I am. So she says, are you a person of fear or a person of faith? I felt like weeping. I just thought, lady, you have no idea of how tough these last six years have been. I wanted to die. Over the next 12 weeks, I went back and saw my doctor and slowly came off all of my medication. We moved down. We entered a one-year transition process of taking over the leadership of this church. Nine months go by, 10 months, and I'm feeling sick, but not with, the, not with my other symptoms. I'm feeling just like I've, I've just need a good night's sleep. And this goes on two or three months. So I go and have bloods taken with the doctor eventually, thanks to my wife, and the GP who's in our church, phones the next morning as she gets the blood results. She says, you better get him to the hospital right now. He's in a lot of trouble medically. We go to the doctor. The first guy sends me to the second guy, and he says, your kidneys are being attacked by your body and your blood. I didn't even know that was possible. My white blood cell count was one-tenth of what it should be. So if I was to get any infection... I was in danger. They put me in an isolation ward for nine days. The handover was two weeks' time, and here I am sick again. The, everybody that came through the door had to wear a mask and gloves and scrub up, and only the doctor, the nurse, a cleaner, and my wife could come and see me, and I thought I was losing my mind. I felt like the specimen put in a jar, and the first thought I had, my job is killing me. I thought my, being on a team was stressful. Now I'm about to lead this amazing big church and my body's killing me. And I want to be there for my children. I want to live. I don't want to die. I'm going to quit ministry. And every day I asked my doctor, was a Hindu man, I said, should I quit my job? And he said to me, you're overreacting. We'll sort it out. Don't worry. I came out of hospital. I was so weak we went for a walk around a field. I just shuffled along. 
desperate. I'd had a miraculous healing. And now I was sick again. All my entire life, since I was five years old, I got saved at five. I've had a good family upbringing. Some traumas, but nothing compared to what others have gone through. And everything I've thought about faith and about life is not working. I was so, I was at such a low point that I I made a decision. I said, I'm going to set out to try and understand myself. It's like I'm going to take the whole building of who Steve is and go back to the foundation stones and examine every single stone because somewhere the walls are skewed. But it doesn't feel skewed. It feels like I'm fine. But clearly my body is screaming at me. I went on a journey for the next two or three years. I'm still on the journey, but for the next two or three years where I started engaging with a team of other people and God directly saying, God, please help me understand how to live marathonically because I want to be in ministry the rest of my life, but I don't want to be sick. I want to be healthy, joyful. I want to be present for my children. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good leader. Not amazing, just good. And little by little, God started to help me one at a time understand some of the things I needed to change. And I'd like to share with you in the time I have left, yeah, it took a long time of that story, some of the journey. I could do this probably over 10 sessions. So I just want to give you some thinking, hoping it stirs you that God speaks to you to become even better in your own journey. One of the men I started seeing regularly was a a man in our church is an executive coach. He was a director of Unilever in South Africa. When he was 55, they offered to pay for him to become something else because he had reached the top of his ladder of promotion at Unilever. He became an executive coach and started coaching executive teams around our country, but he had been in our church for many years. I met with him. We clicked. I said to him, would you coach me? I want to become a better person, a better leader. He sends me an article one day, and in this article, researchers from the U.S. had researched effectiveness in the workplace over many different companies, and they'd come up with this amazing model. They said that there are four major energy centers. This is my picture of what they said. I'm just going to call it one, two, three, and four, because this board is fighting me. They identified four energy centers, physical energy. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these down because I don't have them on the screen. Physical energy, mental energy, emotional energy. And then they used a different word for the fourth energy center, but ultimately they were talking about spiritual energy. They called it purpose energy, I think. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. I've thought about this a lot, and I'll tell you why, but I want to first go to a Bible verse, just in case you think this is just me telling my story. I'm going to stick a verse in there. Remember when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He quotes from the Old Testament, and this is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Love the Lord your God. This, I've got this on the screen somewhere, if you could put that up. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Can you believe it? Jesus, 2,000 years earlier, had said that the way you honor God most is by loving Him with these four energy centers, with all your strength, physical, with all your mind, mental energy, with all your soul, emotional energy, with all your heart, spiritual energy. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. My entire church life, most of the emphasis had been on spiritual energy. If I was in gym on spiritual energy, I had this giant bicep. Mental energy, well, I'd been through school and university, so that had got some work out. Emotional energy, never heard people talk about that. And physical energy, well, physical training is of some good. But... I felt God take me on a journey and show me that all four of these energy sources were an act of love to him. And living in health was investigating all four of them and making sure that these tanks remain full. My physical energy bucket had been weak and low. But what I didn't realize is that some of the things that had caused my physical breakdown we're in the mental and more importantly, emotional space. We are so cleverly made that all of them always link together. What I did, this was just my approach. I took these four things and I created a questionnaire for myself that every single day I gave myself a score. I created 30 sub points related to these four centers and every morning, I would analyze my last 24 hours. How did I sleep? How was my food? How was my water intake? How's my mental energy? How sharp did I feel in decision making? What's my emotional energy like? How much emotional stress have I had the last 24 hours? I was trying to re-educate my brain. Spiritual energy, how close have I been feeling to God? What was my Bible reading, etc.? What I want to focus in today, because this is, we could take, many hours over all of this. I want to focus on this bucket, bucket three, emotional energy. And this is my question or my topic, being an emotionally healthy leader. I'd like to recommend a book that I came across after my three-year journey on this. And when I read the book, it was like, reading my notes that God had revealed to me. It's a book called Emotionally Healthy Church. Emotionally Healthy Church. And the author of the book is a guy whose surname is Scazzero. Maybe there's another way to pronounce it. In any of these energy centers, God has wired us in such a way that we've got a feedback loop in our world that if we go, if that, en if that energy tank goes below 70%, we get some signals. If it go goes below 50%, we get other signals. 
And when we're down here in the bottom, our body starts screaming at us. A whisper, a talk, a shout. I was not listening to my body's whispers or speaking, so my body was shouting. Now, just in case, anybody sitting here saying, hey, hey Steve, man, ah, man, now we just got to go and sit and look in a mirror all day. I want to tell you that this, my goal with doing this is to become the most effective leader for Jesus that I can. Let me jump forward in the story. I am leading now, I believe, in a healthier space than I've ever been in before. I'm working fewer hours, and I'll tell you more about that in a moment, but I think I work harder than anyone else on our staff. But I used to work twice as hard, and I thought that was a badge of honor. It was stupid. I sleep better at night. I'm more present for my children. I believe I'm a better husband. And in the years between then and now, I'm just saying this as a, just to try and give it a short, the number of life groups in our church has doubled. Our staff has doubled. We've just finished a building project of 10 million rand, direct equivalent six, 700,000 euros, but you couldn't buy a thousand square meter building for that year, I don't think. We built it all during COVID. Our church is in a healthier place, I believe. But I was the biggest problem for myself and for all of it, for the church. So in the emotional dashboard of my life, some of the signs that my emotional tank is getting empty are these things, and it would be different for every one of us. But when my emotional tank is a bit low, the whispers are that I get a little bit ungracious with other people. I get a little bit irritated. Ah. Come on, should be working harder. That leader's not doing enough in the church. Come on, you think you've got a lot going on. You should try being me. Bad. Bad things. I get a little more defensive. I feel overwhelmed. Just at the top here, I just feel a little bit like, yo, I've got a lot coming at me. I tend to work a little more. I just think if I just have three big days and I get through stuff, then I'll be in open space. And guess what happened? During those three days, more things would come and more things. And the biggest thing, the first thing that goes in my world is I stop feeling joyful. I just feel not sad. That's down the bottom. Not very angry, that's at the bottom. Just not that joyful. These are some of the things. I'm just going to name four things today that for me have been key factors in keeping my emotional tank full. There's, there are more, but these are four that I picked for today. Number one, and I've picked this on purpose, number one, sleep. For those who thought it was going to be time with God, that's in there. But when I'm exhausted, you probably are more spiritual than me, but when I'm exhausted and I sit to read the Bible, 
I can't remember what I've read. My mind's jumping around. Studies that they've done on physical health show this. Previously, the science said there were three legs that physical health stood on. Sleep, exercise, diet. But as research has gone on, they've discovered that by far, there's one leg that's more important than all the rest, sleep. I have a very well-qualified physio who's a friend of mine who hosted an international conference on how to develop top sports athletes in Durban. One of the people who spoke there is a specialist in sleep. They fly in this lady from, I don't know where she was from, who does multiple sessions on sleeping well to get high performance in athletics. I'm in a high performance role. Saving people from hell. I'm not talking about the size of a church. I'm talking about the intensity of our calling. The number one question in sleep, how many hours do you need to function well? Not to get by on. My, the old me saw it as a badge of honor to sleep less, work more. The new me thinks, what a stupid person that was. Steve Wimble needs eight hours a night. I've tried seven and a half. I've tried seven. I can't sleep more than eight. I wake up. I've tried six and five and four. When I get eight hours a night, night after night after night, I'm at my best. The research also tells us that we function best when we are in a good rhythm of going to sleep at the same time and waking up at the same time. Every parent knows this about their child, but we don't know it about ourselves often. Maybe it's just me. I was so flexible on my sleep times, depending on what meetings were happening or where I was traveling, and over time built up ongoing exhaustion and I was Desperate every year for my annual holiday to come around so that I could recover. If you are tired before your annual holiday, exhausted, you're doing something wrong in all the weeks in between. That was me every year. Second, uh, how's this for an interesting verse? Psalm 127 verse 2. In vain you rise early and stay up late. Church leaders toiling for food to eat or food to give because God gives sleep to those he loves. Find out how much sleep you need. Do it regularly every single night. You're living right in the center of God's love. By the way, my sleep patterns, I still suffer with severe insomnia from my, those six years. Sleep is my most sensitive health issue. The second major impact on my emotional tank was my weekly work rhythm. God has gifted every single person with seven days in every week and 24 hours in every day. And I viewed it as my goal to try and get as many of those hours working hard as I could, be productive. Now, the Bible celebrates hard work. Proverbs strongly criticizes laziness. 
But I was missing out on some of the revelation that God had for me in my weekly working rhythm. Very quickly, God works six days and then he rests. He has eternal power. He doesn't need sleep. But he puts a one in seven rest pattern in for all the rest of us. Not just as a law, as a grace. This is the revelation I feel God gave me about myself. In the Old Testament, there was supernatural provision from heaven, manna that came down every morning. And every day you had to work and go and get the manna and then eat it. Work and eat, work and eat. But on the seventh day, you were to rest and eat, rest and eat, rest and eat. Some of the people go out on the seventh day to collect food. There is none. There is no provision for working on the seventh day. God says to Moses, why do these people continue in their unbelief, basically? I felt God challenged me because my Sabbath rest, I never treated very seriously. Anything would come up, I'd be off to do it. One in seven moment rest in a week. Now, I felt God challenged me with this. Steve, your work is not by faith and your rest is not by faith. You regularly overwork, and the reason you're doing that is because you don't have enough faith. I felt God convict me of being a secret workaholic. Because I love what I do so much, I was finding my significance in my work ahead of the significance I needed to get from Him. So when you do that, you stop working by faith. You start working by just the sweat of your brow. And I wasn't resting because I wasn't working by faith. I couldn't rest by faith. My phone would be on. I'd be checking just to see any cry. I mean, I'm a pastor. We're on call 24-7, I would tell myself. Yeah, but there's church services. There's this, there's that. We've got things going on sometimes. If something crops up on my planned day of rest... I'll just try and shuffle things and make it happen. When I travel, I now plan a day of rest into my trips. The arrogant Steve never did that. I told myself, you only live once. You do only live once. Make it count. The other thing I was doing badly was in my working week, I wasn't leaving much margin especially in those early days of leading our team, I was packing every hour with meetings. I was eating poorly. I wasn't drinking water properly. I wasn't giving my brain just a little bit of space in between meetings to recover. Now, I only plan at most three meetings back to back, and then there's at least a half an hour break, and then plan some more. Also, this is a whole other message, but in my working week, in my six days of working by faith, there are some hours... Not all hours are equal in a week because your energy goes up and down in a day. So my best brain time is before lunch. I do my highest energy activities before lunch. Lunch for me is good for connecting with people. And then in afternoons, I need activities that are different from the morning activities. I usually aim to be slightly more administrative, just clicking through tasks that don't need big decisions in the afternoons. 
they did an interesting study on judges, as in physical people who work in courts, those kind of judges. If you were having your sentence handed down after lunch by the judge, you generally got a worse sentence than if they gave it in the morning. Think about that on decision making. Just putting it out there. When Jesus was on this earth, he, wa- he worked at a walking pace. No cell phone, no car, no airplane. And the walking is the margin in between activities. Now, you can hear from me, I'm, my problem is not laziness. It's workaholism. And so this for me brings me to my third big point is in, and this, in this emotional space is understand yourself. Understand yourself. I sat at a lunch on our first day here together, all three men at that table, me being one of them, had all suffered either a physical or mental burnout or collapse. All of us having to figure this out, and I'm sure there are many more in this room. Just a salute to all three of our wives who are awesome and picked up a lot of the slack. Now, in this space, learning about yourself, I'd like to suggest that you and I are one of the most amazing creatures ever invented, human beings. And because the manufacturer has wired us with so many different signals to cope, we sometimes just turn off listening to some of them, usually related to previous traumas. But in my case, it was a matter of life and death. For all of us, it's a matter of somebody's eternity. When I'm with faith listening to the manufacturer, I'm saying, God, please help me understand myself better. I went to see this lady with the blood. I went to see her regularly. She was one of my team that was helping me figure all of this out. She drilled me. She wasn't very kind to me. I would come in there in 45 minutes. I would walk out with a list so long of what she said was wrong with me in my thinking. One day I drove home in tears. I said, God, if I'm as terrible as what she's just said I am, I should never be in ministry and church paid ministry the rest of my life. And that night I sat down, I'm desperate, God, I want to change, I want to become better. I sat down with a blank page and a pen and I said, Father, I'm asking you to show me what are some of my issues. The old me didn't think he had too many issues. The new me realized he just didn't know about them. And God the Father starts speaking to me and showing me that, that pattern of thinking that you've had, that's been part of your problem. I write it down, but now with peace. Oh, the manufacturer's really revealing to me. My fault. Morning, a few months later, just before I woke up, I felt God speak to me in my sleep, convicting me of some of my bad thinking towards work. I woke up from a dead sleep, sobbing in repentance and desperate understanding that I'm a sinner. Because of my mental thinking patterns, not just, ah, I got one or two things to fix, that God is displeased with me. God help me. It starts me on a journey. That, That revelation is from talking to the manufacturer, but the old me just had his fingers in his ears. I was just doing stuff for Jesus, but not listening to him about me. 
Incidentally, I've come across some really good tools, <coughs> personality assessment type tools. There's three that have been hugely helpful to me. I'm just, I'm not saying even use them, but all of these things help us figure ourselves out. The first one that I came across and was very, very helpful was a tool called Strengths Finder. You need somebody who's equipped to explain it to you, a Strengths Finder coach. But it's worth paying their money. I paid a Strengths Finder coach to come and explain those results to me. Changed, changed, helped me so much. The second one is a, it's a very old personality assessment called Myers-Briggs. The third one, I run out of time here, which is my own fault, but is another tool called Enneagram. It's the most complex of those three, but has also helped me a whole lot. Incidentally, <clears throat> any tool like this, I've seen some people grab onto it and it's become a prison cell for them. They, they define the whole world like, oh, you're a this and I'm a that and they're a that. That's why you do what you do. All of these are just different faces of the diamond. I could tell you what I am in all of those, but that doesn't define me. It explains me a little bit. These things are meant to be a springboard to become better, not a jail cell to do worse. The fourth major thing that helped me in this emotional health space was to change misaligned beliefs. Final picture. Let's say that that circle represents God's truth on any subject. None of us are perfectly aligned with God's truth about ourselves. Some of us think we are. But most of us, if you to analyze it, we've got a circle that looks like that. This part is the truth that God thinks about us that we believe about ourselves. But these parts, this is the truth I don't yet know. And these parts here are the things that I believe which are wrong. They are small slivers very often, but this is where my problems were coming from. These were creating holes in the bottom of my bucket. When I was 12 years old, my mother for nine months developed major depression. She was hospitalized. She tried to commit suicide. And then miraculously, she was healthy again, mentally. My dad loved Jesus, amazing example, but he was a very big feeler. I'm more of a thinker. And I observed how his approach to some problems made them more complex because of his heightened emotions. And I unknowingly made this subconscious decision at the age of 12. Emotions are bad to guide the car. And then I just went on to tell myself emotions are bad. So for the rest of my life, as an adult, I suppressed a lot of my emotions. Truth is that emotions shouldn't rule me. 
The truth I wasn't seeing was this, emotions are God's gift to me to experience life in multicolor. The lies I was believing is that emotions are bad. Just that gap between those two things led me to suppress a whole lot of my processing of any pain. Somebody writes an angry letter, leaves the church. I just tell myself, oh, we don't need them anyway. God's on the throne. I'm going to pray myself back to health. I do pray myself. You heard me say that the first day. But here's the thing I learned is I've got to feel my way through to health. What do you mean? Well, this was totally new language to me. I've got to process the feelings, call them out, acknowledge them. I'm feeling sore because of that letter. I feel betrayed by that person leaving. I've given it my best and it hasn't worked out, so I feel disappointment. I'm calling it. And God, please help me process those emotions. Not suppressing, acknowledging and walking through. I could go on, but we're going to break for tea now in all these different circles that have been like revelation to me. But I want to come in for landing with this. Psalm 23, verse 1 to 3. <clears throat> The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Part of my testimony is this. In the last eight years, my physical health has been good. Every year I go and see that same specialist, the other day we laughed about how, how sick I was. He said, I remember how sick you were. You wanted to quit your job. He said, what do you do for a living? I told him, I'm a pastor. You should come to our church. But my soul was unrestored and my body was, conking, was breaking down. And when I'm leading from a place of health, that shouldn't just be something I want to get to. It should be something I live in most of the time. Green pastures, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, still waters, God restoring my soul. When I can lead from a place of health and centeredness, I will go further, probably faster, but with less effort of me and more of flowing with where God's taking me. I want to keep leading and affecting people for Jesus' kingdom till I'm much older. And this, for me, has been a huge part of my journey. And we, Jax and I, we often talk about these things, trying to figure it out, ongoing revelation about many things, that these four tanks stay above 80% full most of the time. 